0: Welcome to The Next Track, a podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams. And I'm Kirk McElhern. We self-produce The Next Track podcast and want to keep it ad-free, so we rely on contributions from listeners for support. You can help us by making a regular donation via Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash Track, And thanks.
1: So it's that time of year again. It's always that time of year. I know. If you think about it... <laughs> Whatever time of year it is, you are there, right? That's the time of year it is. Yeah, yeah well, this is the Christmas time of year. And got to say, in my country, people aren't in a good mood. There's inflations. We're recording on the 15th of December. There must be six different public services on strike today because, you know, th- this is costing a lot of money. We've, we're hit with energy prices that you don't have. So Christmas is going to be a little bit glum in the UK this year. On top of that, the temperature was minus 10 degrees centigrade this morning, and that's 14 degrees Fahrenheit. Wow. Yeah. So it it's white. It's going to be a white Christmas, although it'll melt by Christmas. But I think a lot of people in the UK aren't in a Christmassy mood. I'm reading things about retail sales down, and people are worried about being able to heat their homes because of the cost of energy, and they're not going to be buying many gifts. I uh, I get a sense of that here. I mean, there's a lot of—well, I haven't been out. <laughs> so I
0: don't really know what kind of joviality <laughs> there is. Yeah. Uh, se- seasonal joviality is is going on, but the sense I get in general is that there's a sort of a global glum uh, that uh, that I've never experienced before, especially around Christmas. I mean, I don't know. I I, I feel tempted like I should. Last night I almost put on uh, uh, a Christmas carol with uh, Alister Sim, the uh, 1950s Ealing. I think it's in Ealing Studios. Version, But anyway, it's that very British uh, Christmas carol, just to get in the mood. And I thought, nah, I don't want to, I can't, I'm not in the mood to get in the mood. So
1: I I think this year people would be rooting for Scrooge, wouldn't they? Because a lot of people (laughs) really don't want Christmas. They don't want the expense. And and I, I must say, I've never been a big Christmas fan. When I was young, okay, you're a kid, there's Christmas. When my son was young, you have Christmas for children. But the whole idea of spending money needlessly for gifts... I mean, I spend money needlessly all year long. I don't need to, you know, do anything specific for Christmas.
0: I think uh, people would think that we're somewhat... People would think that we're somewhat misanthropic because uh, we don't... We don't see an organic reason for the holiday. There's no... I mean, birthdays, I guess, are one thing, although that's another thing that I'm weird about because why are you giving me gifts on my birthday? When you're a little kid, fine. But all of these holidays... They create a lot of stress and they create a lot of uh, anxiety, and it's unnecessary, but yet people like to do it because it happens every year, comes up on the calendar,
1: passes the time, et cetera. We mark the years. Well, it's a, it's a way for families to get together when people are distant, which is more the case for Thanksgiving in the U.S. than Christmas, I think, because of the four-day weekend and some people even take more time off. And Christmas this year is on a Sunday, which is weird, so here, Monday is Boxing Day. That's a holiday. And Tuesday is an extra holiday because Christmas is on a Sunday. So there you go. Anyway, I'll be working on the Monday and Tuesday. I'll take Sunday off, which I usually do. We've done a number of Christmas episodes. We've done two Christmas gift guides. We've done one episode on Christmas music, which was so good that we had to run it again a few years later. And we thought this year we would just do a very relaxed Christmas gift guide. We're not going to pick a lot, but... In my case, I've bought several things recently that are music or music related that are worth just talking about.
0: Yeah, I mean that's essentially it. This is a, 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 just some things that we've bought recently that we think you might, find, our listeners, may find interesting.
1: I want to start with the documentary in the court of the Crimson King, which is a documentary about King Crimson at fifty. So it was filmed in 2019, or we started in 2019. The band was formed in 1969. And it is a whole lot of interviews with people, like all rock documentaries, and there's some live footage and interviews, and it's talking to former members of the band. Uh, It's not like the Rolling Stones, where pretty much all the members of the band have been there since the beginning, or at least, you know, now that Charlie Watts is dead, you know, he's a new drummer. But with King Crimson, it's gone through so many changes. There's only one original member who's been there since forever, which is Robert Fripp. Now, Robert Fripp is famously a curmudgeon, or a misanthrope, or whatever, and he's a grumpy old man in some of the interviews. And it's not entirely enlightening, but it is interesting to see the band at 50. In the current lineup, or at least when they started filming, there were eight people, three drummers, and five other musicians. One of the musicians, about 20 minutes into the film. He's being interviewed explaining he's got stage four cancer, Bill Reiflin, who plays keyboards and I think played drums for a while. And he died before the end of the shooting of the film. But it's it's an interesting look at a band that's been around for a long time. Most of the musicians are oldish. There's a couple of younger people, but most are more oldish. And it goes over the history of the band and... It's enjoyable if you're a fan. Now, I bought the deluxe set, which is six discs, two Blu-rays, two DVDs, same content as on the Blu-rays, and four discs of music from the film. So complete songs, complete concerts. One of the discs has two concerts on it. One is about an hour long that was shot in a studio, and another which was shot, I think, in Rio in 2019. I watched the first one. I haven't watched the second one yet. Seeing them in the studio is oddly... I don't want to say boring, but it's like, it's just not exciting. I mean, they were doing a full concert in the studio, no audience, no reactions, no, none of that energy you get from, you know, interacting with the audience. I think the most exci- most exciting
0: we've ever seen King Crimson is that time we saw them on the pier separately. Yeah. You and I in 1981, 82? 82. 82, I think. Because um, Adrian Ballou was out front and jumping around and, you know, he he provided the... uh the uh, uh, the rock and roll, yeah. Um, but the rest of the, the any other time I've seen King Crimson, Robert even sits, so it's not even a uh, yeah. He sits yeah. when he
1: plays, and he has done for a long time.
0: Yeah, and that's almost like a classical performance. So uh, the 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 movies, the videos that I've seen of this eight piece band, it's very uh, it's very chill. Yeah, there's no horsing around. Yeah, it's it's they're standing in place. They play. They don't. You know, there's no
1: excitement at all. So that's very interesting. The one thing that really stood out for me is how insignificant the band members looked because they all have so much gear you got three drummers with massive drum kits, and at least two of them have keyboards next to them. You've got the guy playing sax and clarinet with a bunch of gear, and then you've got Tony Levin with a bunch of gear and pedals, and then you've got Bill Reiflin with keyboards and stuff, and then Fribs got his whole rig next to him for his the soundscapes and everything. And there's just so much... It must take days to set up and tear down a King Crimson show.
0: Either that, or it takes 20 minutes. You know, they've worked it out so that (laughs) it just comes together. There's so
1: much stuff. You've got to line up three drum kits perfectly. Yeah. Right? That's a lot of work on They're on two
0: levels also. I Right. Whenever I see them, they're on two levels.
1: Right. The drummers are in the front. The drummers are down in front and then everybody else is up. Yeah. I think having three drummers is a bit excessive. They don't need it. I I would have to have heard them live to realize the the amount of drive that three drummers gives. But anyway, I am a fan of King Crimson, and you'll enjoy this. It comes in two versions. One is the just the documentary and the concert films, and the other one is with the four CDs of additional music. What have you got, Doug? Uh, not too long ago, I
0: tweeted a picture of uh, an old, I don't know how to put it. It was just a little box with, with VUs in it, with volume unit measurements, you know, the way we used to have uh, on our recording boards and... If you had a receiver, sometimes they had like little VUs. Amplifiers? Amplifiers, yeah, amplifiers. Yeah. And I tweeted a picture of it. And our old friend Andy Doe responded to it um, saying, I've got one of those. And he says, here's uh, a set of VU meters, just a little box, that he. I think he said he had gotten from the BBC. So he's got this classic box of uh, 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 for VU, doesn't do anything. It just sits on his... It's just a memento that sits on his shelf. Yeah. And then I thought, I wonder if you can get outboard VUs just for fun. Turns out you can. Um, There's a Chinese Chinese company or whatever this is, Duke, D-O-U-K. They generally make these little uh, uh, Class D amplifiers and other sorts of accessories. And they make uh, a set of VUs that you can plug your speaker output in and then the speakers uh then you plug the speakers into the back of this and the VUs dance and play while the music is playing that's all it does it's kind of expensive too but <laughs> i thought it was funny just to have uh well not funny but it was amused it amused me to have these volume units uh represented now the funny thing is you can change the color of the of the lighting you know these things are backlit so you can because they all use that same chinese light bulb that goes from yellow to orange to red to blue you know you've seen it um and so you can change that another thing you can do with them is uh you would think that it's it's set to a a standard volume level but it's not if there's too much sound going into this device You can just turn the sound down with a knob in the back. They call it swinging, and so if it's if it's pinning, if it's pegging, you just turn it down so that it's back into the normal range. So it's not even measuring anything; it's it's not really measuring anything. You know, there's no there's no you can't.
1: (laughs) It's just showing the movement as a music. Yeah, exactly. It's
0: like you're not measuring dB and stuff like that. But it's it's kind of fun, and it looks good in the rack, and it's it's. It's definitely a self-indulgent sort of thing, because I go way back with volume, you know, VU meters. Uh, they used to be on every board I ever worked with in radio and any kind of production. Uh, now we have them, but they're, of course, software. It's, you know, they and they've created these beautiful sort of, you know, VUs that you can, you know, all kinds of different VUs that go up and down and left and right. I mean, you can have any kind of VU measurement, Um but uh I thought th- these were fun to have and if you know you know a crazy audio guy this is sort of a gift you might want to get for them. These are kind of trifly expensive though. I was c- very surprised for the simplicity of it. It's very uh it was like over $100. It
1: was Did you get the one with the round yeah. VU meters or the rectangular ones?
0: Well, I'll admit to you I bought two. <laughs> I bought
1: uh,
0: Yeah. I bought one that works with just the speakers. Right, And then I thought, well, wait a minute. I want one with line. I want to be able to use the line inputs. So I bought another one that uses the line input. That one has round speakers. That one has, not round speakers, has round uh, VUs.
1: Well, I'm but- looking at it. And some years ago, I bought a audio switcher to switch... To two sp- I have two pairs of speakers in my office to switch zones, and I see the one with the rectangular VU meters is also an audio switcher.
0: Yes. Oh, well, there's that too. I mean, it does actually, that one does have a function beyond just showing the VU. It does allow you to switch inputs and outputs. So you could have two receivers two or two sources and two sets of speakers. I don't use it for that. Um, I don't have any need for switching that, but it's... You know it's it's a device that's looking for a purpose it's, it's it's
1: you know it's it's an ornament, it's an ornament, yeah, okay. I want to pick another film related thing, but not music this time. I'm a big fan of Vim vendors, and I just got a couple days ago this new set of twenty two blu rays of almost all of his films, almost all because his first feature film I think is lost. It doesn't contain several short films, and like he did a lot of music videos over the years, it doesn't contain them either. I'm a big fan of Wim Wenders. I discovered his films in the 1970s. There's that core period from about 72 with Alice in the Cities through Wings of Desire when he just made some extraordinary films and really memorable. A lot of these are 4K restorations or HD restorations, really high quality, and I've been looking forward to this for a long time. I kind of like having these complete sets of filmmakers I like. I have a Bergman that's almost complete as well. There are a couple of others I'd like to get, but this is new. Now, I'm going to put a link to Amazon UK because it's only sold in the UK. It's not sold in the US. It's released by a UK distributor called Curzon, and I don't know if it's going to be released in the US. I think Criterion has the rights in the US to all his films, so... If you really want it, you can probably order from Amazon UK, but I don't know about the region coding for Blu-rays. So if you are in the UK and you're a Vim Vendors fan, you'll like, you'll want to get this. If you're in the US, keep your eyes open. I would expect that if there's been one done, and it's been done with his foundation, he has his foundation called the Vim Vendors Foundation that's you know maintaining his films. If they've done it in Europe, they're going to eventually do it in the States as well.
0: I'm not a Vim Vendors fan, necessarily. I've enjoyed the films that I've seen of his. I, I got a collection. I haven't bought any video. I don't do that. But I did recently get a, a wonderful little collection, of four-CD collection, although I'm sure the original was a lot bigger when they originally released it. It's called FAC 51, F-A-C 51, The Hacienda, 1982. And it is four discs of music from 1982. Now, it's not just from 1982. These are all bands and and acts that played or had something to do with the Factory Records Hacienda nightclub in Manchester back in 1982, which is probably peak Hacienda. And of course, if you've been listening to this podcast for any time at all, you know that Kirk and I are, are kind of big fans of that Manchester scene that that, that occurred at, at the Hacienda and Factory Records itself because of all the, the music that they have on it. But not only do you get the four CDs, not only do you get the four CDs, but you get the the booklet inside is there's maybe I don't know thirty forty maybe I don't know twenty pages thirty pages of information about each of the bands. And now the bands I'm talking about here, they're the bands you expect: uh, Echo and the Bunny Men, A Certain Ratio, uh, Heaven Seventeen. Those are bands that were from the area. But you also have Edwin Starr, um, uh, Curtis Blow, Grandmaster Flash, people like that who played at the Hacienda and who were highly, who were Americans, who were highly influential on that dance sound that uh, a lot of the British bands, a lot of the Manchester groups took up. And in fact, I think you'll recall that New Order went to New York at one point and was really into the dance scene. Those are the bands that came over to Manchester uh, to, uh, you know, to to perform at the hacienda because they were these cutting-edge dance bands. The fact that Curtis Blow is on here, I was very surprised. Uh, I, in fact, I saw him with the Clash at the pier. Speaking of seeing acts at the at the at the pier, they brought him back for that. Um, but anyway, it's a great it's a great listen and it's also a great read. Because the information on each of the artists is is really quite great. Um, So I'm very happy with it. And I normally don't buy these sorts of things because, quite frankly, this is probably available as a playlist or a couple of playlists, you know, on the streaming services. But having it on CD is, uh, is a nice treat.
1: Well, it doesn't seem to be on Apple Music, at least not this set. So it it is what it is, is it's a collection of bands who played at the Hacienda. First of all, FAC 51, Factory Records' catalog numbers were FAC followed by a number. And whether it was a record or something else, it had a catalog number. And the Hacienda was FAC 51. It was their 51st release. I, I think it's, I'm looking at the contents. I'd seen this, but I hadn't paid attention. And at the end of the first side is The Message by Grandmaster Flash and The Furious Five. That was the rap record that broke through that the first rap record that I heard, that's... I remember that in 19... I think it came out late 1981, around the time of the Clash of Sandinista. You would hear that all over New York on boomboxes. That was like the record of the time. I noticed this one key factory artist missing, and that's the Gerudi column, who was the first artist signed to factory records. Now, maybe Vinnie Riley didn't play at the Hacienda in 1982. I know he did play several times at the Hacienda, but he's not on this collection, so... no. He's not. I
0: noticed that too. And his music is a little bit different than...
1: Well, it is. It's very different, but that's part of factory records. There was even some factory classical records for a while. And, you know, their music was... they, They had a wide range of music. I will put a link, and I think I mentioned it in a previous episode, the BBC recently had a documentary about the Hacienda which covers from the beginning through to the end. If you have a VPN and you're not in the UK, you could probably watch it. It was quite interesting. I want to make a recommendation for something you can buy yourself for Christmas, Doug. What? Sonos has a whole bunch of stuff at 20% off. Oh my goodness. I just got an email this morning. Now, Sonos used to be like Apple. They never had sales on anything. So they must be having a little bit of difficulty because they've had several sales in the past year or so. I have noticed that. You can get a Sonos One SL. I don't know what the SL means, but it's the one without the microphone and without Alexa support. Uh, here it's 139 pounds, so it's probably $139. Now, When they first came out, they were like 179 So at 20% off, I was actually looking and thinking, well, should I get a couple of more Sonos Ones? Because they're far better than the, uh, the HomePod Mini. They're just as good as the big HomePod. And at that price, that is so cheap.
0: I, I I was amused to see recently that uh, Sonos is still continuing their partnership with IKEA. And have you seen the lamp they make?
1: Yeah, a floor lamp, a big floor lamp. It's really, I mean,
0: I don't want to say it's hideous, but <laughs> it's, uh, uh, I don't know. It's weird. But yes, you're right. It, it, Non-Ikea Sonos
1: stuff is top-notch. I may have mentioned it in a previous episode. In fact, I probably did. I bought the Sub Mini right 4 or 6 weeks ago. So my TV room is a Sonos Arc with two Sonos Ones as rear speakers and a Sub Mini for subwoofer and it really really sounds good. Now, they don't have the things like the Arc and the Sub Mini on sale. So they've only got the ones that aren't in demand. The Sub Mini only came out in October, so that's not on sale yet. No, I'm sorry. The Arc still is on sale, but not the Submini. You can buy a set with the Arc and two Sonos Ones. For here, it's £1,177. That doesn't look like 20% off, but uh, maybe it's up to 20%. In any case, you can get discounts. You can get a Sonos Amp. You can get Sonos Ones, which are great little speakers. If I had more places where I need speakers, I'd get another pair of Sonos Ones, and I am tempted.
0: Wow. Where would you put them? I don't know. Oh, just have them around.
1: <laughs> just put them in the hall, but I don't listen to music in the hall. I mean, I've got sonos ones in the bedroom uh I've got other speakers in my office. I've got sonos ones in the t v room as rear speakers, so I've got a whole audio set um It's just that you know twenty percent off is a good deal anyway. If you don't have any sonos stuff, this is a good time to buy some.
0: All right. I'll bear that in mind. I don't know if I'm needing any more audio equipment, but I think i'm I'm pretty happy with the way I am in fact. Uh, I wasn't going to mention this, but I'll mention it again. I um, if uh, again, if you've listened to this show for a long time, you probably know that we're not crazy about vinyl. But this year, I bought a turntable. I don't know why. I I don't know. I I I've been telling myself for years that you don't want vinyl. It's ridiculous. It wears down. It's it's no fun to listen to. It's troublesome. It's it requires mechanical things and argh. But I did end up buying a turntable because I figured, okay, at some point or another, I'm probably going to want to uh, transfer some older um, uh, uh, records that I have to digital, which is something I've been... It's very difficult to do up until now because nobody I knew had a turntable. And whenever I found someone to have one, you know, you have to ask if you come over to their house or even borrow the turntable. That's not possible. So I bought... I don't know if I mentioned this last year. I don't think I got it last year. I think I got it this year. I got a Pioneer PLX 500, which resembles a high-end Techniques uh, turntable. You know the one that everybody sees. What is it? The SL 1000. That's the one we used to have in the in the record store uh, record in the radio stations. It's a top-notch turntable. Uh, It turns at a regular speed. It lets you drop a needle on the record as it's turning. It does the job. (laughs) So uh, I haven't, I've only listened to two records on it. I've had it for several months. I've only listened to two records. The first one was- Well, it took
1: you several months to get it out of the box to start with. Well, that's true. It did. Um, The first record
0: I put on, the first thing that happened was I heard the scratches from the, the record that I had. The second time, I bought a copy of Exile on Main Street on vinyl, and I finally said, all right, when are you going to listen to this? You need a nice quiet time, and then I found such a time, and it did sound pretty good. I mean, maybe because I was going through all the nonsense of, you know, taking it out of the jacket, putting it on the platter, dropping the needle, maybe because of that, but it did sound nice. Not. It's not really worth it for me to be listening to records all the time though. It's just I, I it's too inconvenient. Um Well, not inconvenient, just not as convenient as saying, hey, I want to hear this song, go to the streaming service, and there it is. But anyway, uh I highly recommend that if you are thinking about getting a turntable, get a good one. And if you're gonna get a good one, don't spend less than like three or four hundred dollars for it. And this particular one from Pioneer, I think was about five hundred dollars. Of course, the high-end techniques—that's a $1, thousand, twelve hundred dollars. I don't think anybody who's just a casual fan of records should be buying that kind of stuff. Um, but if you're going to get one, at least get a decent one, so you don't have, you know, trouble with uh, inconsistent spins and and things like that.
1: Does yours have the thing with the strobe light? Yeah. The, the the little thing that turns and you adjust it that that's really clever. I remember when I first saw that back in the day. Uh it's a really clever way to make sure that your speed is right. Of course, assuming that the strobe light is going at the right frequency as well and that everything matches.
0: I've never I've never had a problem with that although I haven't used it. I'm not going to change the speed here. But back in the radio station we used to use that we had a, there was a a, a a graph that you could keep nearby the uh, the turntable to adjust the speed and figure out how fast it was going. And when I was working at Top 40 Radio, we pitched everything up a little bit. Um, And you did that to on To get the turn- more songs an hour. Well, to get more songs an hour, but also there's a certain high end that comes through when you pitch it up. Yeah. And uh, and that was a fairly standard thing to do. But you could do that by look, keeping an eye on the strobe because you didn't want to push it too high. Uh, otherwise, people hear it as chipmunks. But
1: if you bring it up a little bit, it was fun. But that's not how the artist intended. No, the
0: artist didn't intend it to be played <laughs> on the
1: radio, not at all. <laughs> no, I just meant to be played fast. Yeah, yeah. Did I mention that I bought one final classical box set on a previous episode?
0: You told me that you did, and I mean, this is literally the last classical box set. Am I right? I have
1: bought many classical box sets over the oh. year, and it got to the point where I wasn't listening to everything. There's too much to rip. I bought the big Bach, Beethoven, and Mozart box sets that Deutsche Grammophon or Universal released, and I'd been waiting for the one last classical box set, and I finally got it. Dietrich Fischer-Dieskau, his complete leader, complete leader on Deutsche Grammophon, because he recorded for a lot of labels, but the majority of his work is there. I think it's 120 CDs and some DVDs. I'm not even sure. I've only scratched the surface my favorite leader singer and uh, an extraordinary compendium of music, the likes of which we'll probably never see again. We won't have these A plus list classical musicians going forward who are getting all this investment from a record label to build their career and maintain the career. Just like in popular music, there's fragmentation in classical music, and there's less money in classical music. The days when Herbert von Karajan was a worldwide star and had album covers with Deutsche Grammophon of him in an airplane or in a yacht, these days are past. We won't see these monolithic classical performers, and it's a shame. But we do have this record from, in, in the case of Fischer-Dieskau, from the 50s through the 80s, and then a little bit after that when he, you know... When he was past his prime, he didn't do too much, but this is one of the greatest sums of classical music that I know of. So link in the show notes, you can get it at any of the Amazons and you can probably get most of it on Apple Music, but the difference is here, it's all in one place. It's all well-organized and, you know, it's physical media.
0: You got a CD player?
1: I have a CD player and (laughs) I have been listening to this. All right, good. Okay, I think that's enough. We're not going to do next track picks because, well, you've heard some stuff that's music and some that's not. This episode comes out just before Christmas, so you have a few days if you want to buy something that you have not thought of that we've recommended. But you don't need Christmas to buy yourself something. Exactly, and you don't need to buy something for Christmas. So until next time, happy holidays, and we'll see you next year.
0: This was episode number 245 of The Next Track. Thanks for listening. You can start or join a conversation in the comments section of this episode's show page at our website. You'll also find links to some of the things we talked about in the show notes for this episode. Just visit TheNextTrack.com. Follow us on Twitter at NextTrackCast. And don't forget to support The Next Track by making regular donations via Patreon. We're ad-free and self-sustaining so it's listener support that keeps us going. Thank you very much. Visit Patreon.com slash the next track. I'm Doug Adams. And for Kirk McElhern, thanks again. We'll talk to you next time.